imagine you're an archaeologist, okay, and you're doing an archaeological dig. You find a piece of metal in the ground, wherever you are in the world, doesn't matter where, and you're with your team, and then you start to brush off more of the metal, and you realize, holy crap, this looks like a disc, this looks like a UFO, right? But that's not even the best part. Then think about very close to the UFO that you just dug up, and you don't know what to do at this point, by the way. You don't know if you should report it. You don't know if, you know, maybe you might actually honestly possibly die because you, you know too much. You're not sure, right? But then something even, I guess we could say worse or more interesting, depends how you want to define it, happens, which is that you find a skeleton. You say, okay, whatever, right? But the skeleton is about 15 feet in height, and not even that, but the skeleton has wings. And but, but just hold on a second. Your partner that you're doing the archaeological dig with is the one who is designated to inspect the wings of the skeleton. You guys then go home or you go back to your camp or wherever you're situated to you know rest and everything. And you're going to go back the next day. And then that same evening while you're resting, you're discussing if you should report it or what you should do. But then your partner overnight suddenly dies by... An unexplainable amount of what we would define to be, I guess we could say radiation, but not radiation in the traditional sense of the word, but because we have no other form or no, no other way of explaining it. You then find out later on that the radiation that your friend passed away from and got very sick from is the same type of radiation or energy emitted inside of the UFO craft when they actually fly as reported in the Majestic 12 documents. Now, I do want to start off with one question for you guys, which is this. And I'm not going to get specific because that's not the point of this question. But why do you think that every single whistleblower from, you know, the people who have claimed, whether online or on certain podcasts, which I won't name, or on certain shows of the past, present, or down the road, why do you think they have no problem discussing the UFO part? of what they worked on. But when it comes to two things, discussing archaeological digs and how these this craft was found, and also when these people, these, you know, engineers, scientists, you name it, geologists, worked on the actual weaponry aspect of things, why do you think they're very scared and hesitant to talk about that? Actually, you know what? I'm just going to give names. Bob Lazar, Jacques Vallée, Phil Schneider. Why do you think they're extremely hesitant to talk about the weapons side of, of the manufacturing and reverse engineering? But when it comes to the actual craft, they're way less scared to talk about it, right? And then also when it comes to certain elements and energies that have the same connection to these skeletal wings, why do you think that's the case, that they're so you know, hesitant or afraid? Now, I don't blame them. I'm just saying, why do you think that's the case? Now, before I do that, I promise you guys, starting tomorrow, I'm going to get back on with the shoutouts. I've just had a really busy with the been really busy with the show last couple days i do want to thank the members who really appreciated yesterday's episode uh the members only episode i put a ton of time into it and i'm very happy to see such a positive response so thank you so much guys and uh again for those that uh, haven't joined here's my patreon very quickly and let's get right into it so project night train there's a lot to cover here the geometric resurrection of the watcher's wing now we can talk about the book of enoch we could talk about the watchers we could talk about all that stuff but that's not the point here let's just break it down very simply first off we have the psychological warfare aspect of this which we need to cover first off because project night train this isn't the first time this name was used and the numbers seem to add up in a certain way and you'll see what i mean very shortly now 
Here, according to Wikipedia, and I quote, Night Train was part of a series of chemical and biological warfare tests overseen by the Deseret Test Center as part of Project 112. The test was conducted near Fort Greeley. Sorry, one second. Alaska from November 1963 to January 1964. Now take a look at this. The primary purpose of Night Train was to study the penetration of an Arctic inversion by a biological aerosol cloud, end quote. Now, we can go on, but the point here is this. Notice that the primary purpose of this operation or project was to study, study the penetration of an Arctic inversion. Why? Now, if we take a look at bibliotecaplates.net, what we're going to find is that Night Train, uh, sorry, 1963 was allegedly... Not, I can't say definitely, because obviously I wasn't there, but allegedly, the first watcher or fallen angel or Netflix, you name it, that was captured and stored in a secret Antarctic base in correspondence and agreement with the extraterrestrials from Agartha. Now, we could say extraterrestrials, we could say, you know, ancient beings, that's not the point, but you get what I'm saying. Now, the interesting thing here is that very shortly after the Antarctic Treaty was signed, this was all around the same time too, within a handful of years that Admiral Byrd talked about an underground, you know, world and what have you, which subscribes to the Hollow Earth theory, but that's not even the whole point here. What we're going to see is that with the Antarctic Treaty, all these countries, and I've talked about this before, all these countries signed on, all of a sudden, no problem, we, we're not going to go there right? And then we start hearing whispers of, you know, secret U.S. Russian uh, massive bases there. A lot of it for experimentation having to do with the Nephilims, right? So why do you think at the same year, coincidentally, that the first alleged Nephilim or fallen angel was captured, that this study was conducted? And who's to say this study ever ended? Why? Because the government said it ended, all of a sudden it ended, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the next thing we have to take a look at here is we have to notice and go back to the bones of the wings of the fallen angel and what type of energy they emit. Now, we've already made some connections throughout the, the different years here and the different, you know, alleged um, reports and things like this. But what we really need to delve into is the aspect of this alleged radiation that's being emitted. Now, what could it be? Here's the interesting thing. When we look at the Antarctic Treaty, there is reference to a particular form of radiation and certain devices that utilize that type of frequential radiation. I don't want to say what because I don't want to get too specific, but for certain reasons, but I'll put it up on the screen. That's forbidden from being allowed in, Ant in Antarctica to those members who have signed up for the Antarctic Treaty. Why is that the case? And guys, we haven't even got to the good part yet. So the next thing I want to talk about is the phenomenology, and this is according to ncbi.nim.nih.gov, of gang stalking. But first, we need to understand what gang stalking is. So according to psychologytoday.com, reports of gang stalking began emerging at least 15 years, ab years ago by self-described targeted individuals or TIs claiming to be followed, surveilled, harassed, and otherwise victimized by unknown forces wielding high-tech weapons of mind control. Now, what's very interesting here is what we're going to notice is that if we go back to the original Project Nitrine on Wikipedia, it says here, a total of 18 biological trials were conducted for Nitrine. Which biological trial? Of what? What biological trials? You see, that's the whole point. They still don't tell us. They want you to think, look, we're telling you what this project is, but we really don't know. They're being extremely vague, right? And so here's what's also interesting. Let's go back to the first reports of gang stalking, all right? Which years did gang stalking first allegedly take place? Now, yes, it says to the, on the government website, it's only been reported and acknowledged in the last 15 to 20 years. Fine, okay. But 
if we take a step back and we look at the big time frame of the 19th and 20th century, gang stalking first occurred, believe it or not, in the 1890s initially. But then the next time it was reported, just within the United States, by the way, I can't say for around the world, but just in the United States was 1963. And guess how many reports there were of gang stalking individuals in just in 1963? 18. Take a look at that. Look right there. A total of 18 biological trials were conducted. How do how do people in general miss these kind of things? Now I get it. People don't obviously a lot of people don't have the time to look into this. But my point here is that what I mean is from all these years ago, how do people not make these connections, right? And that's why we're doing the show. That's why we're doing this. Now the next thing I want to talk about as well is I want to talk about something called the geometric theory of or the theory of everything, if you will. Now this is proposed by Eric Weinstein, the same gentleman who proposed the DISC theory, the distributive idea suppression complex about, you know, the general loose arrangement of committees and people that shut down ideas that might actually excel the human race in a public way, but they can't allow that to happen. The same guy, the same fantastic gentleman, he talked about how the geometric theory of everything, and this is interesting, why, and according to NewScientist.com, and I quote, Weinstein says his approach follows in the footsteps of Albert Einstein, Paul Dirac, and Chen Ning Yang, the physicist whose equations he is attempting to unify. And he says, the principal authors of all three of our most basic equations subscribe to the aesthetic school, while the rest of the profession had chased the consequence of beauty with adherence to data, end quote. Now, this same type of phrasing and demonstration is shown in Walter Russell's The Universal One, the same gentleman who wrote the book that Nikola Tesla told to put away for a thousand years. Let's take a look at something. Now, let's go back to that number 18, that, you know, coincidental, I say with air quotes, number 18. Now, this part here might be a total coincidence, but I want to present it to you guys to put it out there for the world. The 18th page of Walter Russell's Universal One was highly redacted by the United States federal government before being republished for the public to see and read. Why is that? You think that's a coincidence? It honestly could be. I could be totally wrong here, but not that, not just that. On the 18th page, by the way, Walter Russell discusses the aesthetic consequence of beauty and adherence to data, something that no other scientists are looking at. So let's think about that for a second, right? This could all be entirely coincidental. We don't know for sure. All right. But the whole point here is this. When you take a look at the concept of spirituality and pure presence, what we're seeing here ultimately is we're seeing a manifestation of a form of energy that surrounds the human body. Right now, what if that same type of energy could be applied to a craft, a craft that may in fact be so ingrained between science and technology that it is in fact living, which is what I did an episode on a handful of days ago about UFO crafts in theory being undead, technically speaking. Now, with that being said, you might say, Dave, what does this have to do with the fallen angels? Well, is it a coincidence that the radiation emitted from these skeletal remains, particularly on the wings, not the rest of the body, on the wings? And by the way, the fact that these skeletons are 15 feet in height already tells us more than we need to know, right? But anyways, the fact that these radiative energetic vibrational frequencies from the wings not i mean it's unfortunate that they seem to actually get humans sick but if studied and curated in the right way may in fact be able to resurrect this fallen angel which is in fact what they may be doing so is it a coincidence that if we take a look at the front end of project or operation night train and we look at the back end of what was really occurring here and we tie it to things like gang stalking you name it you're going to find a whole bunch of connections that are so inherent and apparent to us 
that we don't even understand how much more of a connective tissue there might might be metaphorically. Now, I want to take a look at something else as well here, and let's see very quickly. This is according to Bibliotheca Plates, again, the index website, false flag operation, according to the ExoPolitics website. Now, a whistle, and I quote, a whistleblower has recently emerged alleging secret preparations are underway for a false flag operation to justify a military response to alien invaders. The whistleblower claims that he or she was asked to write up spin, prop, uh, spin and propagandize that would help win the country's leaders over for our new war effort against extraterrestrials, end quote. Now, this was allegedly supposed to happen in 2007, right? In 2007, another 18 people reported serious allegations of gang stalking. And on top of all of that, 2007 was the last year that people claim to have seen the planet Nibiru. Now, you might say, Dave, oh, what does Nibiru have to do with any of this? Every single time, every year, which is very rare, someone claims to see the planet Nibiru. There's a shift in the magnetic frequencies in the Antarctic Pole. Why is that? Now, some could argue that's natural. In the public end of things, scientifically, it's not explainable. It's just the way the earth works, the gravitational pull. Could a fallen angel, in fact, become resurrected? All right. And that's the other thing we have to look at, too. Now, it's also been argued that every time Nibiru allegedly exists or sorry, shows up, a fallen angel is resurrected. The question then becomes, are these fallen angels good? Are they bad? You know, what's the whole thing going on? There? What's happening there? Well, it depends. Again, it depends on our perception. Are they self-serving? Are they willing to help us? Are they tired of humanity? Again, we're talking about ancient beings here being revived, by the way, in a geometric, natural way. Now, I want to take a look at space.com, and it's a subtitle here, Evidence for Nibiru. Now, and I quote, a scientific paper was published in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, which discussed several infrared sources with no counterparts that turned up in a survey of the sky. All right. Now, so, now we got to be fair here because I don't want to take this out of context. Such surveys are common in astronomy and usually involve follow ups that individually detail the more interesting sources. All right. In the follow-up of the 1984 survey, most of the sources turned out to be distant galaxies. None were identified as planets. Both papers are available to the public, end quote. Now, what's interesting here, though, is that who is to say that most of the sources turned out to be distant galaxies? It's kind of like um, when the FBI took a, uh, literally, they literally took a black Sharpie and wrote the word bogus all over the Majestic 12 documents to say they're fake. So just because the FBI, a group of humans, writes bogus on it means it's fake and with all due respect to the public academia of scientists which i have tremendous respect for just because they claim it's fake and i'm not saying it's even them that's claiming who knows who's claiming it i mean take a look that that's the thing we have to trust but we got to verify and if we can't verify then what are we going to do right and that's the thing we have to look at here now what's also interesting as well too is this number 18 keeps reoccurring which seems to align with the theory of geometric unity that Professor Eric Weinstein uh, subscribed to or proposed. Now, even he admits that he does not fully understand the concept, but the point here is that I would dare to argue he's on the right track, all right? And we're seeing this reoccurrence with the number 18 having been associated with the fallen angels, having been associated with Antarctica's shift in the magnetic poles, having been associated with the planet Nibiru, having it being associated with gang stalking, with Night Train, with Walter Russell's Universal One, 
right? So I want you guys to let me know what you think. It's certainly a very interesting topic to cover, to say the very least. I will be doing an episode down the road on more specifics of the actual fallen angels themselves. But the whole point here is that... Is there extraterrestrial influence? Is this something that maybe was artificially curated within this simulation we live in? Or is this something that is truly the nature of the universe and the cosmos that we're still trying to understand? So thank you guys so much for watching and we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Cheers.